You're listening to episode eight of the Rue Crew podcast, Reasonable Faith, with guest Adam DeMerchant. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rue Crew podcast. Unfortunately, Marley is not here, so it is just me, but I thought I'd bring you a little special episode um, with my friend, Adam DeMerchant. He's a theologian, pastor, um, scholar, uh, what else? (laughs) Nothing. He's a smart guy. He's the smartest guy I know. And I'm on Grim and Ann, and I brought my podcast stuff with him, and we're using some boofed mics that we found (laughs) in a cupboard. Um, (laughs) So we'll see how this sounds. We'll see how it turns out. But I just thought it'd be cool to come together and kind of do some cool questions because Adam's super smart. (laughs) He hates to admit it, but he is. He's way smarter than me. He knows two biblical languages. No. no. You do. Stop. Stop right now. He's also very humble. And almost entirely sanctified. No. But anyways, I thought, thought we'd we try this and to see how it's going. So, Adam, whenever I do a podcast, I or listen to a podcast that's Christian and boring. Yeah. They always go, so, Adam, tell me your story. Yeah. You want to know my story? <laughs> yes. Oh. Your Oof. faith journey. Tell me about your faith journey. Oh, uh, man. He's Eight. also currently rubbing his little puppy sailor's tummy. Yeah, and trying to keep her quiet so that Mike doesn't pick her up. <laughs> right? But she's pretty high maintenance, but she's good. Uh, my faith story? Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm born into, like, a family of faith. Like, not just parents and grandparents, but uncles, aunts, everybody. Um, so that's been, you know, something that I have always had a part of my life and uh if you know the when I, when did i like pray the magic prayer i was like four i was in the ingersoll dorm basement because your parents were at kingswood yeah my dad uh worked at kingswood at the time so i was a just a little kid uh prayed the prayer you know i think i meant it at the time i was a four-year-old i meant it as much as i could um and then just like every kid and teenager growing up you know you make mistakes you struggle with stuff but uh I think that my like faith journey has been it's it's ongoing it's you know I I was presented with like this is what we believe this is the faith uh and as a kid I sort of said okay if that's what you say then that's what it is right uh as a as a teenager and more as I like move into adulthood, it's been more and more like searching out what uh, I think is true in there and some stuff that might be like preferences or uh, cultural like inclinations and stuff and not even throwing them out, but just being able to tell like one from the other, what's essential and what's not doesn't mean I throw out what's not essential, but you know, it's been a lot of searching, and so I've um, done a lot of reading and looking through different different avenues of like science, philosophy. I went and studied theology. That's what my degree's in. So just a lot of questions, and I think that's healthy. Like I'm pretty open about how, like even as a pastor, I. There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't have at least a simple like doubt of like, oh, maybe this is all not real. Like maybe this is not true or I, you know, I'm just simple and I want to believe this or whatever. So those days come and go. Uh, and a lot of times at night I can't sleep. I'm just riddled with like doubt. But uh, that's why I think it's important to like understand what you believe and what is essential and what's not. And why you believe it. Yeah. So, you know, not every every day of our lives is going to be like a cry at the altar type of like monumental spiritual moment. And it's those like deep questions in the middle of the night on a lonely day or a rainy day or whatever that like I, I, I feel the need to address those in my own heart and at least try to search them out. So, um, yeah, I guess my journey has just been like, here's the faith, like... Yes, I believe it. And then the more I think about it, the more questions I have. And then God has always proved faithful to um, 
not answer every question, but give you like enough to continue searching and, and finding adequate answers or being okay, learning to be okay with not having an answer to everything, but being able to differentiate between not having an answer and it being like nonsense, that type of stuff. So yeah, just a lot of like question stuff. So now I, I work as a pastor and I work with kids and teens and I try to create a space for them to ask questions, big and small, stupid and important. And uh, I don't have all the answers, but I'm more than willing to admit like what I don't know. And we'll just work together to try to figure out uh, the answer to that. And so I, yeah, that's kind of what's been for me. And I just try to do it for other people. Yeah. And I remember when I was at this church one time and I went into a youth room and it wasn't my church. And they had this sign on the wall that said it was like a no smoking sign. And then doubt was in the middle of it. Nice. And I was like. I hate that. Quote. No doubt. Doubt, and it said doubt-free zone, and I, so I. <laughs> that went, is so I, cringe. I what know. the frick? Anywhere that you should be able to have doubts and questions. Yeah. It should be church, and and we went to youth group together. Adam is my longest friend. <laughs> He's my only childhood friend. I we think. had a break in the middle for a little bit. There was a little break, you know, yeah. girls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but it's the way she goes, boys. You know how it is. <laughs> it's just how it is. It's always girls. It's always girls. Always girls. girls. But now yeah. we've got two girls who like us and like each like other. Like each other. Yeah. yeah. So now we're like we're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully none of those other girls listen to this. I don't care if they do. Me either. No. But we grew up in youth group together, and like our youth pastor, Dusty, he's about as close as a saint as I've met on this earth. Yeah. I'm sure he does have a flaw, but I like him too much, even if he does have a flaw. <laughs> I wouldn't tell you I, what it is. I wouldn't acknowledge no. it. Like, I, no. I'd just pretend. No. <laughs> so, so anyways, but Dusty would like raise us to have these questions of... It's okay to ask questions. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember Dusty was like throwing out because we had like youth Sunday school class and he'd show us those like, well, those expelled documentaries. And, oh, yeah. A lot of those stuff. And, um, well, Stephen C. Myers. Yeah, we like, watched some Truth You stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just question, like, and just making a safe place to ask questions about the faith. Because, mm -hmm. I, like, I don't think that questions can lead us to a bad spot. No. But, like, whenever I read. Whenever I read, like, Rhett and Link, they did this big podcast a little while ago that said, like, oh, like, we left our – that dog is mowing on that. Uh, it's just cute. I don't think we – we won't pick it up, but it's just cute. Yeah. Um, but, like, Rhett and Link did this podcast, and the reason they left their faith was because no one could give them answers. Yeah, that was on their Ear Biscuits thing, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest problem is, like, so often – and it's that this is a doubt-free zone. Like, you're not allowed to ask questions – and I don't know if it's anti-intellectual or it's that our our society is just like have faith and that's enough. Mm -hmm. But like just having faith isn't enough for me. Like that's like I didn't I didn't like when I was at youth group, I didn't get converted because I had a holy moment. Like, no, obviously it was a holy moment. But like I got converted because I was like watching and obviously God was doing this because why the frig was this stuff being shown in my like grade 11 history class? But like reading times articles about how the human genome can be traced back to one woman in Mesopotamia yeah. Yeah. or we watched the Prince of Egypt and then we watched like a Nat Geo documentary about, Oh, here's some possible explanations for this plague. Mm -hmm. And some people might be like, Oh wow. Like God is getting explained away. But I was like, Oh wow. Like this stuff is confirming the Bible for me. Yeah. So I wasn't like saved at the altar crying because I was a sinner in, in, in like need of saving. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? Like I've done a little bit of research on this stuff. It lines up with what I know to be true historically and scientifically and stuff. And 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 that's kind of where I landed. And it was only because we were a part of a youth group where we could ask those questions. Yeah. Because, like, you know, like, if a kid asks a question, like, a lot of people just be like, well, just don't think about it. It's not an important thing. Yeah. But if somebody has, like, wants to ask a question, then for them, like, they have decided, like, that's imp that's worth asking, right? right? Like, for them, that is important. Right. Or at least as a pastor, maybe them, what's important is maybe not giving them the answer, but allowing them the space to ask you their, the confidence they have in you or the willingness to like share their doubt or a simple question with you. You like giving them the time of day and effort to answer their question is like, so if you can't give an answer, you actually just trying is like, is it, and being willing to like, to say like, I don't know, but let's try to figure it out together. Cause sometimes when like we don't as, especially as adults, we don't want to like admit that we don't know something. And then, so we like make up some like 
half answer that's like, oh, I kind of think this is true. But like when you that can almost be like even more harmful because then that's how we get into like a whole generation of like Christians that like believe stuff that they think is in the Bible. And it's like not there. Right, like angels. Yeah. Like stuff and all this stuff about like the end times and stuff that gets it gets worked in there with like popular culture and all this stuff. But, you know, yeah, just but- throwing out answers. Oh, it could be this could be this. But you say it like it is that instead of saying like. I'm not sure. Here's like the here's the different answers we have. Like, let's try to figure it out together. Whatever. The like, left behind books are not biblical. No, throw that stuff out. It's not the Bible. No, it's not. No, no, no. <laughs> no. The Bible isn't going to get like a like a negative one on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not going to happen. Yeah. No. It's not. It's not good. And and I find like sometimes like like I've had quite and it's because I'm a critical thinker like. Yeah, I didn't grow up in the church. I'm not saying that people who grow up in the church aren't critical thinkers, but like, like I run in like Marley, like Marley grew up in the church. Like she's, she's been a Christian basically her whole life. Like there's this questions that I have that she goes, I never thought about that because I didn't have to. Yeah. But like, and I ask when I ask people that kind of stuff, it's like, well, well, how do we reconcile this? Like most people just say, well, just don't get in the weeds. It doesn't matter. But for me, it's like super matters that we, yeah. We talk about this stuff because if if we're believing stuff that isn't like based in principles, like like if we are if we're just believing having faith in like half answers, yeah. Then once we get a full answer that doesn't line up with this half answer, then you're like It's house of cards. Yeah, it just all collapsed. And that's why people leave their faith after high school. Yeah. It's because they're in high school, they're in youth group, and they never have a space or the opportunity to ask these questions. And then they walk into biology one oh one. And then they're like, oh, everything I've been told at church is a lie. Yeah. But really, it's just that we haven't done the legwork to prepare them for those conversations. Yeah, for sure. And it's super, like, complicated. I think the goal shouldn't be to, like, try to give people as many answers as possible. Like, the higher level, the the reason for, like, education in any instance is, like, to give the give people the tools to, like, to search out, out the answer. Because it's like we're crazy if we think that we can just memorize like answers to every no. big question. It's insane. So I think there's just been a big like failing on the church in general to like equip people with like basic ability to like read the Bible for what it actually is and not just what you were told it says type of thing. Right. Be a little more searching, ask a little more questions, dig in a little, little bit. more introspective. Yeah. Find more context, do a little bit more like actual research and not just like Google searches and stuff like that. So then when you find something that does shake your faith, that's okay. Is it credible? Is it not? Like, what are the holes? Are they in, like, are they crucial? This, is that a pitfall or is it just something that, well, we don't know. We don't know about that one. And, and if you're okay with not knowing the answer, that's cool. Right. But when you're aware about, you know, this is, we're not sure about this one. And this one we are sure about that stuff. I think it gives you a much better and more healthy uh, faith that's actually grounded in something. Because like what well, you said, you came to, uh, to the faith, like not in like a big, like emotional thing. Um, it's just a regular, youth yeah, night. it was just like more like, okay, this makes sense. It's a logical, like this is rational, makes sense. Like for me, like my initial like childhood conversion is not based on any rationality. I trust my parents when they tell me this is true. And I, in my childlike eyes, I see what I think God's doing and his Holy spirit and stuff. That's all good revelation. I'm not discounting any of that. But growing up, like it wasn't those emotional moments on the altar as a kid or a teen at camp and stuff. It wasn't those things like that kept me there. They made me feel something that night. It was important, like spiritual work in my heart. Right. But like what has maintained and even like deepened my faith since then has been like searching and trying to understand who Jesus was and like reasons to believe those things that aren't just in the Bible because it says the Bible says so or whatever. Uh, so that's been like a maintaining thing. You know, my conversion was more like like a personal moment, but then there's the depth and like the maintenance right. has come from like a lot of just searching out questions. Yeah, because the Bible, like we kind of act like the Bible's a simple book. Like, yeah, like we can just, <clears throat> we can print off a verse on a, on a, on a, like a Hallmark card and like, oh man, that is so good. But like, I think it's a big disservice to treat the Bible like it's a simple book. Yeah. When when if you don't understand 
like when you because you can't just read the bible like you can read the bible devotionally like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you can you can pick up a devotional and read one or two verses and then someone can write about it whatever how it applies to your life and i think that's a fair use of the scriptures but like you're not like that is level one of christianity yeah it's basic like and 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 i feel like people get dissatisfied with their faith because they stay in level one mm-hmm. and they're like oh well i've heard all the the 20 or so topics that we talk about at church like i do my devotionals but they're all just kind of devotional like and then like people miss out on <clears throat> like we think that once we've got that down then like that's how your life is for the rest of your life but you can dig into so much like that's why i love the bible project their little podcast series. yeah that stuff's so good their videos are good too but like i listen to the bible project podcast yeah and like well i'm thinking about this this one recently f- about um the garden of eden okay and it was just talking about like oh well in ancient near east cultures like because everyone thinks like when you read about the Leviathan now, I'm I'm not going off notes here, so don't like skewer me because I get something wrong here. I'm, this is a podcast I listened to once like several weeks ago, yeah. and I didn't take notes. But like, like people think, oh, like Leviathan, like this was like a, that must be a dinosaur because like like yeah. we have dinosaurs and stuff. But like Leviathan, like they kind of unpacked it that in this in the ancient Near East, Leviathan was the creator of the world. Sure. So it was kind of like showing that, and he was like, uh, see this where it gets a little foggy, but basically they were putting it in there because when they were telling these stories orally before they were written down, like yeah. God was over top of Leviathan. Leviathan was yes. this, this God of creation that um, like started a war or something and trying to split up the earth. Yes. And they contrasted that with God who made humans out of like in his image and stuff so like but then you see people are just like oh leviathan that must mean dinosaurs must oh mean dino yeah hum- humans hang out with dinosaurs oh my gosh this makes so much more sense i'm like little foot's in the bible little little foot's in the bible <laughs> like but then i look at it and then i'm like well maybe but probably not yeah. like like you know like when you actually look into this stuff like it was written for a culture and a time mm-hmm. and we are eavesdropping on it. Yes. But it's like, it not only is it a different language, it's a different culture. It's a different era of history. Like, yeah. like another thing was, it was talking about, well, in Genesis, when it's talking about heaven and earth, like as a modern reader, we read heavens and earth and we go, Oh, okay. That is the planet earth mm-hmm. and space. Yeah. But that is not how the ancient Hebrew writers no. understood. No. So when they say heaven and earth, it means earth. Yeah. Like not the planet, not just where we are. Just like human space. And and the heavens was like the the spiritual realm. Yeah, like God everything. space. Yeah. So it's like, but if you if you go into this stuff without reading this and you're like, oh, God made earth and the universe, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the author was intended. Language is a little more poetic. They do a similar thing um, in the creation narrative when it talks about, like, like God creating the this, the planets and the stars and stuff. And and back in an ancient culture, you would have looked up at the stars and planets, and and a lot of cultures would have worshipped those as like deities or di- like all of these different gods well, made this and this and this, right? Gods. Yeah, and so like just in the created creation narrative you have like no there's not like a bunch of gods there's one god and he's above all your like this planet and this guy and the sun and all this stuff like like this one god actually like made that stuff so how that stuff has no power like that's but that's more in like that's like establishing like narrative and stuff right and uh yeah so it's it's very nuanced and you can get into some weeds where uh, you can get in some danger zones where it's like, well, you can just believe whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything. Uh, but it, I would just challenge a lot of us to to like be willing to look more than once. and Put look, in the work. Yeah, look deeper than just what – this is what the word says in English. Well, like let's do a little more searching. And I think that I, I think the reward is like a deeper understanding of things and that enriches your spiritual walk. Uh, and it's relevant day to day. So, you know, some people don't have those questions. And that's okay. And I don't like intentionally try to inject doubt into people's like right. lives. If they don't want to grapple with that stuff, then that's cool. You don't need to. 
but I just want to be at least for like my teens and my kids and and my congregation, uh, just try to be like available to help them um, by giving them answers that I I am pretty confident in, but also just being able to like admit that I don't know that and then try to like model like how do what's my process? How do I go through figuring this stuff out or, or coming to a conclusion or eventually getting to a point where I think, I think the answer is farther than this, but I don't think I can get there. And I'm just okay with that right. here. And, and being open to not speaking in absolutes, like, yeah. oh. like, um, I'm reading this book called myths and mistakes in new textual, new Testament textual criticism. Wonderful. Super good book yeah. because I was having a little crisis of my faith because my whole life, I, well, I've welcome been a Christian for 10 years. Yeah, welcome to the party. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm i having this crisis because, and I don't know where I picked up this doctrine, right? Like we all have doctrines that we believe. Yeah. But I had picked up this doctrine that if the Bible, if the Bible is infallible, which means without a mistake. Yeah, in a literal sense. In a literal, like literally there are no mistakes in the Bible. Yeah. And it's inerrant. There's no errors. No, infallible means like 100% trustworthy. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. And there's no errors in it. Like, then that is that is what the Bible is. But then I and and that is that's a pretty orthodox view. Um, and then, but then I was reading this this other scholar. He's 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 a secular scholar, but I don't think that secular scholars are bad. Like, no. It's good to have a variety of opinions. I think we get into a lot of trouble when we just say, oh, I'm only going to read Christian books about Echo philosophy chamber. or yeah. stuff. Because then it's just like politics. If you're only talking to people who like the conservatives, then you're going to think that's the only thing. But yeah. So a scholar named Bart Ehrman, and he's written a lot of books. He's got an interesting journey. But he was just – I just watched a lecture, and he's like, well, well, there are parts like the scribes made additions to the Bible. Yeah. And, and I was having a hard time reconciling that. So I bought this book, and it was super good. I'm still working my his your, book or what book just for that New Testament. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I've not read any Bart Ehrman stuff. But I've read one, which the how Jesus became God. Yeah. And then I read the response to that one. How, how God, God became. became yeah. Uh, I think it's King. How God became. No, it's not. How God became Jesus. I think yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. Yes. But because I was like, like my doctrine had to be shaken. And if I just sat there and I just sat there and thought, oh, man. I've been told or I've believed my whole life that the Bible doesn't have mistakes. Yeah. And I'm not saying the Bible has – and this is where it gets tricky because definitions matter. Yeah. Like uh, like, I'm not – yeah, like definitions matter. But the problem is how we define words is wrong to how what they actually mean. Yeah. Because like when we say that the Bible is inerrant and infallible – and and this may be surprising to some people because I found this out in the past year, right? But like when when we say the Bible is inerrant and infallible, like if you open up the Wesleyan Discipline, which is like the it's what we kind of follow along. Yeah, it's like our what or like our Articles of Religion. It says um, that the Holy Scriptures are inerrant and infallible in their original forms, like when they were written on day one. When they were written, so when when the when the Apostle Paul wrote down Romans, yeah, what he wrote was infallible, it's perfect, and, and and inerrant, and and so that means that our English translations are not held to that standard. No, because it's it's like Islam, like Islam. Now, also, not research, but it's my understanding. <laughs> it's my understanding that they don't like to translate the Quran into other languages besides Arabic because yeah, you lose don't. something when yeah. you translate it. So I got this book <clears throat> because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't know if you've ever had these moments where, like, you get dizzy and you feel like everything's spinning. Because I was in quarantine. I wasn't talking to anyone last year. Then I got in this deep rabbit hole on is the is the New Testament text reliable? Yeah. Because if the New Testament text isn't reliable, then it's a house of cards. Oh, like, if the New Testament's not reliable, it's all pointless. Like yeah. even Paul literally says it in the New Testament. Like if none of this is true, like we're frigged. Like it's not even that like the people that are like, oh, it's just still a good way to live. No, like Paul straight up says in the Bible, like if this isn't true. Like we're like, woe is us. We're wasting away our like 70 years that we get. We should be doing everything that we want to do that we're denying ourselves. Right. So it's not even like, oh, like it's a nice way to live. No, if the, if like the New Testament, if the gospels are not legit, then like 
we're like we're cursed more than the people who are doing who are like living in what we would call sin because at least they're squeezing the little bit of like like enjoyment yeah the little chemical fires in their brain like yeah they're getting what they want for like 60 70 years and then they're gonna die and we're denying ourselves and then we're gonna die and it's it's the same so if the gospel and paul says that right in the new testament like if this isn't real like we're screwed like we're 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 wasting our time right so yeah it's i mean it is house of cards for sure yeah so like so i'm i'm start to go down this path of like oh man like maybe maybe the new testament isn't good like sure. not good as in like morally good but like maybe what we have in our purex or what i have on my phone isn't like maybe that's not what paul actually wrote it because Aaron, bart airman lays out a pretty now at the time it was convincing but now i yeah. know it's cherry-picked examples which is how sure. you sell books but yeah um examples of how well no it does seem that scribes were adding stuff and and then i looked up and he goes go look in your bible and you'll see a footnote that people acknowledge it and i was like well why is it why is that in the bible at all if it's if we know that it's not there so anyways i read this book and the basically the thing they said was and it's a huge book and i can't summarize the whole thing but it's like the problem is we treat it like like we're so certain like don't be so don't like we were told that the bible is perfect and all this stuff yeah and then when we make absolute claims like that when someone challenges it like it i feel like i'm gonna get heretic mode here but like <laughs> like i will like they say when when you're dating like you just need to be authentic on what you have like yeah the the bio, the the newest hebrew version copy of the old testament is from like 1100 the 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 oldest the oldest copy of the greek old testament is like from 300 bc the septuagint the septuagint and if and like the there are earliest copies and and and, and, and like fragments and stuff and they are fragments like it's like two verses or something they're from like 250 AD mm -hmm. but my whole life I've been told oh no like these these books like we have old copies mm -hmm. and they are old They're like old. especially when you can compare to other major religions like I think the earliest copy of like I think the earliest copy of like Muhammad's writings is like 500 600 years after he died yeah and 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 Jesus is are like 200 150 like there's some very early stuff but it's like poor condition and the reason is because people just didn't treat it like it was important like they just threw it in garbage dumps when they yeah. were done with it yeah and there's been a lot of like oral stuff especially old testament stuff a lot of just like well like i told my kids they told their kids right. like type of thing so then it's like it could go back like ancient you just don't you have no idea um and it, people always like a lot of christians give like this really uh, poor they think they're big brain but they it's like a poor example of like oh I, there's more copies of of this than than all of plato and you don't doubt plato's existence and it's like that's because we all burned plato's stuff right like that you're just like cherry picking a really bad stat yeah. that like we know plato existed because like we used to have a ton of his stuff and then we just torched it all and we, we being christians yeah like the Christians like destroyed his stuff and then their Christians are like, look, there's more copies of this manuscript than there is Plato. Yeah. So you shouldn't believe in Plato or you should believe in God. Like, that's just poor. Like that you're just, that's, you're just being uh, dishonest with yeah. like, and it's, it's just copies. lazy. It's just lazy. There are all. a lot of copies. Like there's, I, I think, I think right now there are 5,200 pieces and that's the important part. It's not copies. You've done your research, so I just yes. default to you on so this. So there's like there's there's like 5200-ish, like never name a specific number because there's more being found every day. And, yeah. And they might find two fragments and they'll count it as two, but then they'll realize that they're part of the same book, so then yeah. they'll combine them type of thing. Yeah. But like we have, and that's kind of what this book is getting to, and that's what kind of what set my heart to ease, but it's because I did the research, Yeah. was understanding that we are fairly certain, like I think they say like 99% sure that what we have is, what we have in the New Testament now is what was written by Paul and Mark and John and all those yeah. guys. And, and that's, that sent my heart down. And, but also in this book, they do, they do acknowledge the fact that the people who were copying the scriptures, yes, there were monks who were doing it very meticulously. There were professionals who were doing it, but other times, um, 
they were uh, there were scribal editions but um when you look at these scribal editions um they're always noted yes like it was no one was trying to pull a fast one on you no. like uh the there's a there's a part about the the healing pool and then like the story ends and then there's like another two sentences that say and every day the angel of the lord would come down and like touch the water and touch whatever, the water yeah. something and that's that's clearly a scribal addition yeah um to the text but the way we know that is because when people would get those copies they would mark it and say this is a scribal edition. So it's not sloppy copying like Bart Ehrman says, but it's not photocopying like, because I remember heard people say like, oh, like when they're copying the Bible, if they mess up one period, like they tear the page out and redo the whole page. That's also not true. Mm -hmm. But the problem is it's a simple, easy answer. Yeah. And then once you go, whoa, that's not actually how it is. And you're like, you're shook, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, you've placed your faith on something that is like, shaky it's or it's like it's a half truth like what you said earlier or whatever then when you get a full answer that contradicts your like half truth it just crumbles so this one of the tricky things for me about all that stuff is that there's a lot of old testament stuff that's super like i don't say it's not i'm not saying it didn't happen or it's not true but it's like we just don't have a lot to that some of these books are like ancient and uh well and it's documenting things that happened like 16 to 2000 bc yeah and a lot of it's like oral stuff that then got codified later and stuff like that written down but it wasn't originally written down right away and then handed around it was like spoken to each other and then somebody decided to write it and down. that doesn't mean it's not true no it doesn't mean it's not true but it's just that's the process and and so the tricky thing is that like you can look at stuff in the Old Testament, and if you say it's like this is a hundred percent, this is exactly how it happened in a literal sense. I think you just like put yourself in some really difficult situations. Um, the but the challenge is that I I think for for us the bigger the bigger question is are the claims about like Jesus true? Are the Gospels true? Uh, and if they are, which I believe they are, and we have good like textual criticism, archaeological evidence, a lot of stuff that backs up the claims of Christ, that like Christ is the linchpin of the faith. Like if he's like th that old C.S. Lewis, I hate, I like C.S. Lewis, but I, I try not to use his stuff because that's like the, like, uh, oh, if you're just like a basic Christian that wants to think, I think that you're smart, you like quote C.S. Lewis, but that's like lazy persons, even though I like all his stuff and, and he's got some good stuff to say. I don't know. I just try not to quote C.S. Lewis because it makes me look basic, but he had like the liar, Lord lunatic thing. Like basically whatever, if, if the claims about Jesus are true, then it's everything. And if they're not true, then like it all falls apart. But the challenge of all this stuff is that you can look in the old Testament. And, and I think it's important to acknowledge that like, uh, we're not really sure if this actually happened or this actually happened, but we're not sure if this person actually did it or if it was somebody else and credited to this person. Uh, we don't know if this narrative should be taken literally or if it's poetic or whatever. Uh, this Job reads like a play. Did it actually happen or we don't know? Yeah, because Job is the oldest. It's the oldest book in the Bible. It's yeah. the oldest book in the Bible. Yeah, so we have all these questions with the Old Testament. I think it's an, important to acknowledge them. But if Jesus is the linchpin of everything, if he's the cornerstone that like the fulcrum that like the faith like turns on, uh, and then Jesus lived his life, and it seems to me that Jesus lived and taught like that stuff in the Old Testament is legit. Right. Like he he Jesus he grew up like a Hebrew. Yeah, he 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 quotes the stuff like it's legit. And he he grew up a Hebrew speaking to other Hebrews and you would think that if they had it like egregiously wrong, his like first priority in teaching would be like, "Oh, no, 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 no." But he actually like affirms a lot of it and he like claims to be the fulfillment of it all. And so like we don't have as much um, archaeological evidence and textual stuff that can answer every question in the Old Testament because some of it's so old. Well, it's even difficult to prove that King David even existed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's even stuff in um, in First and Second Samuel that, like, within the Bible itself, that will like lead you to believe that like David never fought Goliath and stuff. That that's a that a different one of David's like mighty men fought a different giant. And then later that was like accredited to him. I'm right. not saying that's what I believe, right. but literally reading and studying for preaching, I read this stuff in our own commentaries. So like you're not out to the woods if you 
if you say that, just like what you're saying with the footnotes, like it's literally in our books, like in our Bible or in our commentaries that say like, hey, there's some evidence that like this might not have happened. Um, and, and so being aware of that stuff, but like, you might not get every answer for every question in, especially in the old Testament, but like, if there's good reasons to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and then Jesus lives, preaches and acts like that stuff's legit. Like, you know, that's, I think for me, that's more been the searching question of like, okay, I'm going to get like a decent understanding of this and like answer the big questions that keep me up at night or try to. And then it's just about like being a disciple of Christ. And when you find a new question or a new doubt, like you, you do your best, you try to find an answer to that. But like my faith doesn't hang on whether David killed Goliath or not. That's not like the linchpin for me. Like my, I've seated my like faith with Christ and he lives and acts like that's that he believes at least like the intended purpose of the old Testament is like still intact and so, like, I, I, I think it's important and it's a good exercise, but I don't, I don't like, I'm not going to abandon my faith because I can't answer a minute question, but I think it's important for us to at least be able to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And maybe my kid will figure it out. Like, who knows? Hopefully. But if, <laughs> but if I slam the door and say, this is the answer and it's not, but I'm just trying to appear like I know something, then I'm just going to create like another pitfall for somebody else. Right. Right. And ultimately, I don't think I'd sleep any better at night anyway. So there's no real point to that. And this might be a good transition to the topic of like, what is the purpose of the Bible? Because... <clears throat> yeah. Is the what is the purpose of the Bible? Like so often we treat the Bible like it's this magical book. Yeah. That's the solution and answer to everything. The roadmap to life. Yeah. The, the love letter or whatever it, people the, name it all is crap. The basic instructions before leaving Earth. Oh, that's so cringe. <laughs> but like, there's stuff like this. But like, and and I hate to say it, but like seeing like that creation museum. And and like Ken Ham, oh like, the Ark and all that stuff, th like that stuff. Yeah, it's it almost seems exploitative. Exploitative? How do you say that? Of of Christian ignorance. Okay. Because, yeah, it's interesting because it's just it's it's straight up abusing scripture because they're trying to lay claim. Like the purpose of of Genesis is not to teach us about geology or sure. biology sure. or cosmo I was going to say cosmology, but I think that's like painting your nails, is it? <laughs> that's a, uh, oh my goodness. Cosmetology. Cosmetology. Yeah. <laughs> the point of Genesis is not to teach cosmology us. Cosmology is like space. Yeah. Okay. Like so I was right. But I was like, yeah, the point of Genesis is not to show you how to paint your nails. Well, that's true too. But like, <laughs> but we treat, we treat like the Bible, like, like something it's not, it's not, it wasn't written for. It's sure. not its purpose. Sure. Like you, and I just laugh when people get so up in a tiff about how, like, they just stand firm on positions that are not firm. They're not essential. They're not essential and they're not explicit. Yeah. Like, like if, if you're reading Genesis, especially the first like 11 chapters and you're like, wow, like that's like, oh, we got the Grand Canyon because of a flood. Maybe. Maybe. But I'm not going to stand on that because it doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. Like the purpose of the Bible as, uh, and the purpose of Genesis especially, which is what I'm kind of talking about, like is to show you that God created everything. He created us with a special purpose. We were, we messed it up. We tried to go our own way. Mm -hmm. We have, we have free will. After that, there was consequences for our, our, our mistakes. Yeah. And that's why we need to have a savior. Yeah, because God wants a relationship with us, but we didn't want a relationship with Him with sure. the, with the bounce. So that that is the purpose of of the creation story in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't think the purpose of the creation story is to say, "Oh yeah, like there's because I've heard people say like, well, no, like there's a there's a cloud of water, like a like a boil of like a bubble of water over us yeah, firmament and and that that's that's how like we flooded the earth like god flooded the earth i'm like okay it just sounds like an ancient understanding of rain right like, yeah that's how claim rain falls from the sky like i'm not saying that's not how it happened but it, it's not saying that, that that that's exactly how it happened either right so like don't use we shouldn't be using the bible 
as something it's not intended to do. Yeah, like uh, there's some dispute over who wrote the Pentateuch, but we'll just say it's Moses because that's like the who was the general, most humble man. Yeah, yeah, that's the general answer. But like there is there is some disputing over that. Well, he didn't write the verse where he said after he Moses died. died. Yeah, no, but there. I mean, just for just for like upfront honesty sake or whatever there, you know, there's some discussion about whether Moses wrote it or not, or someone else wrote it and then put Moses's name on it to give it credibility or whatever. But that's not really the point, but the, let's say that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which most people would say, um, after he writes the Genesis story in one and two, cause they're a little different. Uh, did he then sit down and like write out his theory of relativity because the revelation from the spirit explained all scientific knowledge to him? No, like it, it gave him a narrative, right. like the spirit gave him a narrative, the creation story that he wrote it out that established like key themes, like what you just said, that like God is not the sun. God is not the moon. Right. God, like there is one God, not many above all that created, he didn't take like chaos. He didn't take like a, a ball of dirt, like from nothing. Yeah. Created everything. Which is a big bang. Yes. Like, there is a created order to stuff. Everything has a proper place. People are on, like, are one of the elevated. crowning achievements of, of creation, right? The story of sin and all this stuff. But Moses or whoever else did it, didn't then sit down and, like, write out all, like, Newtonian physics. Like, he didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't reveal, like, that type of scientific revelation to him. And it would have been irrelevant to the people that were reading it. Like they because did this not stuff care. has been discovered and understood in the past 500 years. Yeah, yeah. The modern scientific like movement didn't really start until like the 1500s, like this to like 1700s in, in Europe. So, but anyways, like that's like when we're talking about like revelation and stuff from the Holy Spirit to like write something down or tell an like oral inspiration. Story. Yeah, inspiration and to tell to communicate something orally that's then eventually written down. We're not necessarily talking about like mathematic or scientific understanding. You can have inspiration from the Holy Spirit and communicate like truth that isn't also then held to like scientific standard and stuff. So when we get in the like that, we can get into some sticky situations where we try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't because it makes us feel better or we can sometimes feel like like you were morally or faithfully superior to other Christians because, well, I just believe what the Bible says, but you need to read science textbooks or whatever. And that's we're we're trying to bend like the, the Bible narrative into what we want it to say, instead of just trying to uh, read the Bible for like what it says. And from the perspective of the original author and the perspective of the original readers or listeners, like what, would they have thought of when they wrote this or read this? That's probably closer to the intended message than Moses sitting down back then and writing something scientific that he knew that nobody was going to understand until 1500 years after Christ. Like, so he was writing at like, that's like some like, like 5d chess level writing. Like, right. like it's just like hidden codes of like God science or something in the, in Genesis that like, he knows it's going to go to waste for like thousands of years of people or hundreds of years. People not, not like understanding. Oh, you just don't understand. Like, cause you don't understand like biology, but those guys in the 21st century, eventually they're going to read this they're and gonna they're going to, they're going to know cause they, cause they know that dinos exist. Like that's not what's going on here. Yeah. That's not what's going on here. So, well, we didn't even uncover dinosaurs until like early 1800s. Like, yeah. And I don't think that when we make new scientific discoveries and stuff, I don't think it weakens the case for Christ. No, I get excited. Everything we, everything we discover, I, my brain starts to fire off. I get super excited. Because, um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Shoot. Um, yeah, okay, I remember. Because basically what happens is, like... Science is explaining how things are done. Like yeah. it's like the basis of science and physics is, or science in general is observation. Yeah. Like okay, I'm going to I'm going to peer a telescope into the night sky, and I'm going to see what happens. Or I'm going to look at bugs. I'm going to look at viruses under a microscope, and I'm going to see what happens, and then I'm going to write about it. Yeah. So like science explains how things are done, but. Like, my understanding is, yes, that's true, 
but God explains why it's done. Why do, why did those moths or those bird beaks that Darwin saw that change? In the Galapagos Islands? Yeah, like why did those bird beaks, why did they do that? Why did they change shape to yeah. adapt to their environment? Yeah. I think that's because we have like a, an intelligent creator mm-hmm. who designed our world to work in a certain way. Why does gravity work the way it does? I think it's like there's just and now we're getting into like philosophical stuff. Yeah, I mean the why question is usually always philosophical, right? Like there's no reason that that the earth could be situated where it is. And there's no reason that so like we are the planet that has the, the only conditions for liquid ice, liquid water on the surface. Now, there's 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 ice under the surfaces on other bodies in the solar system and stuff. But like. There's just like why did God? Why is the universe so ordered? Why is it doing this? Why? Yeah. Why do? Why does every animal have what it needs to survive on this planet? Yeah. Could we? Could we have evolved over billions of years? Yeah. Yeah. But it like atheists always like use. Well, what's the most? What's the simplest explanation? I don't see it as a simple explanation no. of like a bunch of random mutations like. Like, yeah, okay, the coronavirus is mutating really good. <laughs> but, like, like, how do you... I just don't see the simplest explanation be like, oh, yeah, f- like, the little swamp tadpole was blind. And then all of a sudden, one was able to see and it was ex- able to escape. And maybe that's an oversimplification of the argument. Yeah, it is. But it, I get what you're saying, for sure. I just feel like intelligent design is just like... Like, we see it in, in the natural order of our world, like... Yeah, and I think that, well, it's important for, like, Christians to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, per se, or, like, like shut the door on somebody who wants to participate in the conversation of faith that disagrees with you on, like, a scientific issue or a philosophical issue or, or a textual criticism issue or whatever. Or moral, any, anything. Like, you, there's, there's, Christianity should be the most open place for talking about yeah for sure for sure and and there are like faithful christians i believe that like believe like in the claims of christ and like what happened at the cross and the resurrection and everything that that means on a spiritual level they you know they think that's all true yeah but they're also like darwinian evolutionists and like i'm thinking of like francis collins and the human genome genome project like like there these things aren't Personally, I don't think they're compatible, but it, that's not my responsibility to, to like, to shut that on somebody else. If they want to debate with me in like a healthy way and discuss, right. I think that's good. Like sharpening iron on each other, but, but it's not, I, I don't think, I think that there is room for that interpretation and there's room at the table for both of us to have like a conversation about all of these different implications from our different discoveries in different fields, like science and philosophy and all this stuff history everything so you know i have philosophical objections to darwin's theory about like natural selection being a very like cruel and uncaring force like if you're weak you deserve to die and the strong will continue right they, so that like natural like it, weeding out bad genes like oh if you're not meant to survive like you're gonna die and the there's strong a lot of survive. good things that come from bad genes <laughs> yeah so like darwin's theory like it, it really the like the engine behind it is like natural selection right but i don't find a philosophical compatibility between that and uncaring natural force that just eliminates you and then like the person of christ who would rather give himself for the sake of something less or someone who is messed up at, to preserve them and not himself because natural selection runs on na- on like self-preservation and and it seems like like the person of Christ does not like it's the complete opposite right and then what's encouraged of us as well from like Paul and different other writers is to be like giving of yourself to be willing to die for somebody else stuff like that which go which is not like a a natural selection force in your brain so but I do think like there you know that's that's a philosophical objection to something that there might be scientific evidence for. And you mentioned something while we're hammocking. Also, if you're still listening to this, kudos, because you're basically hanging with Ryan Adam when we're not doing fart jokes. Like, <laughs> we, 
We've we've got two two extremes. We're like fart jokes and Fortnite and hanging out, and then this. Like we went hammocking the other day, and this is literally what we sat and talked about. When our wives are in the room, all we joke about is farts. When they leave, we get the books out. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something about how now I don't remember exactly, but you're like like theology. Like you can start in theology, but then, or you can start with science, but then eventually you have to j- make the jump to philosophy and then eventually you have to make the jump to theology. Like, do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Like I think each discipline ha- can go a certain distance and it's helpful, but often uh, we, we mess it up. And I think part of this too is because a lot of the conversation that we have about faith or other like issues, just in general, politics, everything that like the common, like the court square that everybody talks about, it's like Facebook and Twitter, which is not good for nuanced conversation. So we, you try to like get this big paragraph typed out before somebody else jumps in the conversation. Cause if that third person jumps in, you're screwed. Like there's just too much going on. So then you end up like trying to answer one big thing uh, where you're answering a bunch of different questions and only one of them gets addressed. And it's, it's like a brutal way to talk. But like often we get stuck in trying to make something say something that it can't. We try, we, we, we read like a theological text and then we try to make scientific, um, like conclusions from that, right. from that theological text. Or we read a, like we read a philosophical argument, we formulate a philosophical argument and then we try to make a theological conclusion from that text. Like, like what would be an example of reading a theological text and making an example of a... Oh man, I'm on the spot now. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I have some examples, but they like, they, I don't want to quote them. And then somebody's like, he's talking about me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll skip. We'll skip. We'll <laughs> and <then> skip. <laughs> I know like, then I'm getting in trouble. Right. Cause I'm like, I'm a pastor. I don't want to like, yeah. I don't want to burn bridges. Right. But like, I think that it's important for us to know when we're talking with other people debating, but also in our own personal, like questioning and study, like when you're working, what frame of mind are you working from? Like, are you thinking philosophically right now? Or are you thinking theologically? Like, are you working from scientific evidence or archaeology or whatever? What's the discipline that you're using? And then how far can that conclusion take you? Because a theological argument will have like a theological conclusion. It can have philosophical implications. Right. And that's another problem that you have to solve. And that's... So we can get into this tricky thing where we want one thing to answer a question that it's not capable of, but it can help you get closer. And that's why it's important to like be aware of, of how these things work together, because I think that you'll get a much more healthy and like robust personal faith if you are working with like you work from a theological text that's coherent. And it's not disorganized that has philosophical implications that you now support that with like rational, logical thinking. Oh, it's backed by scientific evidence we see in the natural world. Oh, historically, like this, there's there's archaeological evidence for this. And like we go into textual criticism and the text actually is is coherent and maintained. It actually says why like that's much more powerful argument than just sticking to one of those things and then trying to draw a range of conclusions from just this one discipline and it can't give you all those answers i think they work together they lean on each other and that's how universities were when they were founded by the church right like sure. like you studied theology you studied um logic you studied yeah. philosophy scientific stuff wasn't really around when harvard was founded like before the aztec empire or something yeah, it's crazy like freaking old dude but yeah it's just this whole idea that like each of them have a purpose and they can all fulfill. Yeah. And a lot of the like early, like early scientists or people that the modern scientific movement that we talked about earlier that started in like the 1500s in Europe, most of the people like pushing that forward were like priests and, and Christians and, and, and all these like rabbis and stuff, people that people of faith who wanted more answers or more evidence. And so I don't think that like facts are incompatible with like belief. Like I think they are like mutually beneficial. And understanding like facts 
this is something that drives me nuts too. Like people, especially during COVID, are like, "Well, the science has changed." Science changes always. That's what. The, but that's the, the point. The point is that like our understanding changes. Yes. Like there's just we just know more stuff. Like, yeah. and and I think that that's a place where Christians get into trouble, is because they think that nothing changes. It's okay to update your understanding. Like um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, yep. it's it's every generation's responsibility to interpret their scripture for their current age. Yes. So, like, it is good that understanding evolves because if it didn't, we would still be living like it's two thousand years ago. Yeah. And 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 things would not happen. Like if we were never to expand our understanding of of anything like where would we be faith-wise like are like so much of our like are we gonna like if we talk to our, your great-grandparents yeah like they didn't wear gold they thought that baseball was a sin like there's just there i don't i don't know your great-grandparents i just mean their generation but like like but our understanding of the scriptures is like oh actually it's okay to wear earrings or yeah go to a movie like yeah so like our understanding changes it's just we get nervous when it's not in our control of changing it i guess i don't know yeah and that's kind of why it's i think it's more important to ask those hard questions because like people will trick themselves into thinking that they're like remaining faithful to like the faith when by not asking questions or being unchanging uh, but that's when you start like rewriting scripture into and like tradition and stuff into just like your preferred way it is. This is how your it's expression. supposed to. This is what it is. But when you're if that's what you're saying, but you're not also putting in the legwork of what did the original authors try to say? Like, what was the context? What what's Where did all these this doctrines right? come from? Yes. Then like you're actually, you're the one who is changing the meaning of scripture into what you want it to be. Not someone who's actually asking searching questions with, from an honest intellectual perspective. If you're going to ask those questions, yes, you can manipulate anything you want, but that's why you do this with like fear and trembling. Like you, there is a certain responsibility to searching out these questions. When you open that door of like doubt, it can go sideways if you're not careful and that's why i think it's important for churches to like actually train people and disciple them and expect more of them than just like attendance attendance yeah um we have i gotta be careful here we have gotten into i think a sad habit of elevating leadership over discipleship at least in our like pastoral circles and I think that bleeds into our churches. churches and our institutions and things like that, where we all seem to emphasize reading like leadership books, Carrie Newhoff, CEO type books that are like from successful business people about how to do this efficiently and like high capacity leader, this, that that's all great. Um, but I think in the process we've thrown aside or neglected discipleship and then just basic like intellectualism where we're not equipping anybody to do anything other than just like be able to like manage a large room or a large staff. And we idolize leadership above where I think it should be. And I, I, I think if the church was meant to be a business. If you want to be a CEO, then just go be a CEO in a business. If you want to be a pastor, you probably shouldn't be trying to be a CEO because I think then you just turn people over in the gears and they get grinded out. I don't think that's how the church is meant to be operated. And I, and I think when we run our churches like that, like our pastors suffer because they get burnt out and our congregation suffers because they don't get discipled in a way that's like actually meaningful and invites them on like a journey of faith of discovery of asking these questions of sitting you know next to jesus and listening to what he has to say these stories that he said what did that mean like what does that mean for you there's that's that's like a a discipleship walk that you're choosing to live out and it's not about like becoming the next great like leader and we do that as a 
as pastors sometimes, and then that affects our congregation. And then those kids, they grow up, they go to biology 101 and they get the, here's the origin of species. And they're like, well, I have all this leadership training and uh, nothing else I learned matters right now that answers this question. So uh, I'm done. I'm not coming back to church and they're, they're gone. So, yeah. I think that's probably a good depressing place to end it. Oh, no, don't end on a depressing note. Oh, man. <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. No, it was good. Oof. Um, hmm. Where do we go from there? Well, I think that the, like, the positive swing to it all is that I think there's more and more people who are, like, waking up to their questions and their doubts and then choosing to actually like search out an answer. And there's more and more resources available that I think are good resources. We have an embarrassment of riches. Yes. Like, like the, 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 the most gifted translators of the era made the King James version and they had really crummy text that they were working <laughs> sure. from. Yeah. And, and, and that might offend some people because some people think that the it's, King James Bible is the fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> but like the fact of the matter is scholarship was bad sure. in the 1600s and our, the number of copies that we had worldwide were, was not as high as it is today. Like we, like they just went around to their local libraries and said, Hey, you guys got a Greek copy of this book. And then they did it. So, but like we have so much access today and, and like, just like they, those King James translators did the best with what they have. Yeah. Like we have, we have the best stuff oh, yeah. that we have at any time in history. So like go and find the answers, go dig it up. Ask what does, um, uh, Miss Frizzle say on magic school bus. I don't know. Um, or make me. Get messy, make mistakes or something. I have Ask no idea. Ask questions, make mistakes, get messy. I, don't I have know. no idea. But just get in, get into it. Like don't, if you feel like you're bored in your faith, you've hit the level that you can probably get from just reading devotionally. Sure. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, the positive thing is that like there are more and more resources available for people that I think are good and they're, and they're not lazy. They're actually good searching things that, that, that are worth reading and, and have a lot of value and uh, there's a lot of YouTube stuff. It's, there's a lot of free stuff that everybody can get to. And the nice thing is that I think there is a generation of people that are growing up uh, in the faith or are coming to the faith that are more than just like simple believers, but they're actually like people who want to know more. They want to experience more. They want to understand more. And that like thirst for for this stuff, like I think is bringing up a, a, a wave of people that can then go back out empowered to like help other people and offer a, like a, a, a life of more depth and understanding and experiencing and knowing the person of, of God, like more than just a, a surface level devotional type of thing. Right. Um, but it's a, it's, it's more that it's more than that. And so, you know, I have a lot of hope for the future where there have been generations of people that have walked away because of them not getting good enough answers or nothing at all. But now we're starting to come around. I think where now there's people that's that are either getting those answers from, I think good, good pastors or good leaders or whatever they're helping their, their people. And those people are getting what they need or there's people that aren't getting that. And now instead of walking away, they're like committing themselves to like, changing the way things are going and they're they're bringing bringing a lot of good things to the table to talk about so i have a lot of a lot of optimism for the future of of like western faith uh that we move past like cultural faith and move towards like true discipleship that's grounded in scripture and supported by rational thought and evidence and and everything else that we can talk about that more together and i think that enriches our lives and i think that's the hope in the future so the wesleyan quadrilateral Looking scripture tradition reason experience you, you need go. all four yeah well if we don't get canceled from this episode we will uh we'll have you back on <laughs> but no this has been good if you're still listening kudos you're a smart person 
but we have to go get Adam's wife from work. So we will see you later. I can turn off my ASMR voice. <laughs>